Heavenly Father, we join our prayer with that of Jesus that we would be sanctified, that we would be made holy, that we would be made more like you in your truth. Lord, your word is truth. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. You are our strength. You are our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So here's a a question, and maybe it's kind of a softball for you. Do you think that we live in a confused society? And I'm not just talking about a society that has a diversity of opinions. That's not the same thing as being confused as a society. Um, what I mean by confused is that we're not sure as a, as a larger society that, that we find ourselves in, we're not sure about what is right and what is wrong. Um, we're not sure how to tell the difference. And unfortunately, I wish I was just talking about kind of the the quote, secular world out there. But I'm also talking about the church. We're sometimes confused in the church, aren't we? I mean, we're not really sure how to worship, what the essentials of the faith are, even the basic history of the community of faith. I mean, take Roman Catholics, Protestants, even us Anglicans, right? We all have a slightly different take on those things. And we kind of see the results. Disunity, disorder, disarray about everything, about uh, all, all the way from, like, who's in charge? Like, is it the Pope? Is it the diocesan bishop? Is it the congregation? Who's in charge? Who can get married? Which holy books count as scripture, right? Um, Roman Catholics, Anglicans, Protestants, all have a slightly different list, even. In the contemporary church, we're, we're even confused about what, is, what has been, historically speaking, really settled matters. Like, like how the Old Testament applies to us today. That's something that we've never really uh, argued about until uh, about, you know, pretty recently. Um, there was a, a controversy in the early church about the Old Testament um, not being needed, and that was squashed really, really quickly by the early church fathers. But not long ago, I mean, just a couple of months ago, I read from one of the most influential evangelical pastors in the United States today a, a portion of a sermon— where he encouraged Christians to, quote, unhitch their faith from the Old Testament. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? I get that we are very far removed from the Old Testament, the time and the place, long time ago. It's hard to understand. It's hard to make sense of it. But that just means that we're confused and need clarification, not that we should throw the whole thing out. But people aren't sure what to what to say to that, how to, how to process that. It's a mess out there, folks. It's a mess. And this is just one example of the confusion that I'm talking about in the water world and in the church. Why are we confused in our culture? Why are we confused in the church even about things like our purpose in life, about what's right and wrong, about what part the scriptures play in our lives and more? Why are we confused? And to be honest, I think it's because we have not always been taught. And sometimes we've even just forgotten how to look for the capital T truth. The really real things. According to the Bible, truth is super important. Truth 
sets us free from all kinds of things that keep us from the wholeness that God desires for each of us. And in particular, it's the truth about who Jesus is that does this. And as helpful, and I'm happy to say even necessary, as things like scientific inquiry are, critical thinking, historical research. Like th- those things are great. I'm happy to say they're necessary. I love it. I love critical thinking. I love science. I love history. We need to study those things. But they're only going to get us so far towards the answers to the biggest questions in life. And they're only going to get us so far towards freedom from those things that keep us from giving and receiving the love that we all know deep down in the deepest part of who we are that we desperately need. There is a key to discovering the greatest, most transcendent, and ultimately the only transforming truth. That's what I mean when I say a capital T truth. That key to truth and thus to freedom is the person of Jesus Christ. That's the person we are here to worship. The person we are here to learn from. The person we are here to be transformed by. Jesus is the person that not only reveals truth, he does that. Not only teaches truth, he does that. But as God God incarnate, Jesus is the truth. Sometimes we get, we get this confused sometimes because we talk about the gospel. I'm going off script for a minute. The gospel is this big, uh, uh, big message that we have in the Bible about, about God's work, saving work in Jesus Christ. And uh, sometimes, unfortunately, we, we truncate the gospel to just a message about Jesus. Does that make sense? And, we, and we're not really thinking of the gospel as, oh, well, the good news is Jesus. God sent Jesus. <laughs> That he's the truth. He's ultimately, if we want to boil down the gospel to anything, we should just say Jesus, okay? Okay, but let's take some examples, okay? We're confused because we've stopped looking to Jesus as the key. So let's take this Old Testament idea. Jesus is the key to the truth about the Bible. If we're confused about the Old Testament, you know what? We can go to Jesus. Today we heard from Luke 9. There's this event called the Transfiguration. Kind of a weird story, okay? Kind of a weird story. I get that. There's a reason it's there, I promise, okay? So Jesus takes some disciples up the mountain. And there he starts shining and glowing with light and beauty. And lo and behold, Moses and Elijah show up. And the disciples are all just like, okay, should we build a tent or like what? You know, like they have no idea what to do with this. And it's all in context of the story. It's all before Jesus kind of begins this very demanding season of ministry. So what was the point? Why? What, what, what's with this weird experience? What does this accomplish? What does this do? Well, I think it accomplishes at least two purposes for the disciples and for Jesus, even though it's kind of hard to understand. First, it's sort of a commissioning or affirmation that Jesus is truly the chosen one of God. So they went up the mountain and they heard a voice come out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. They needed a little bit of coaching. Second, the church has long taught that this is connected to the fact that Moses and Elijah were there. This is so important. See, Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. That's the whole Old Testament. So the idea 
is that Jesus is being ministered to by the Hebrew Bible, by what we call the Old Testament scriptures. That he is being ministered to uh, uh, from that, and, and that he is going to be the chosen one to move from that to carry out their ultimate meaning, their ultimate purpose. And so Luke really drives this, this idea home a couple of places. Um, you may remember, kind of towards the end of Luke, after the resurrection, Jesus meets his disciples on this road to Emmaus. And he teaches them about himself from all the scriptures, which at that time would have just been the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. So how do we understand the Old Testament, which was written to a different people, a different time, a different place than us? We understand it by beginning uh, to think of it as the unfolding story that is pointing to, fulfilled by, and totally about Jesus Christ. And it's right there in the New Testament. We look to Jesus and we, we begin to understand these things. So when we go to the Old Testament, of course, it's not the whole story. Of course, there's going to be parts of it that don't map directly onto our lives today now because Jesus has come, and so he fulfilled a lot of things. But of course, there's also going to be eternal, unchanging, essential truth that leads us to better understand and love and see Jesus for who he is and what he has done. So I'm sure you can guess that I don't really agree with that big evangelical famous pastor. Uh, We're not on the same page. I do not think that we need to unhitch our faith from the Old Testament. We only need to take some time to understand the truth about the Old Testament in light of Jesus Christ. And there's a larger point here, and that is, if you want to be less confused about the Bible in general, learn to look for Jesus there. Now, Jesus is not the Bible, but Jesus is the key to the truth about the Bible, and the truth that's contained in the Bible. Okay, let's take a couple other things here. Jesus is not only the key to the truth about the Bible, but Jesus is the key to the truth about God. Now, there are so many competing ideas about what God is like out there. I speak to my non-Christian friends uh, who tell me the idea that they tend to get from Christians. This just is, is just so painful for me. And sometimes the idea that they tend to get is that God is petty, threatening, and arbitrary. Is Jesus petty, threatening, or arbitrary? <laughs> I'm sad to say that so many people I talk to have gotten this idea that when we say gospel, that what they think is a message that could be summed up like this, love me or else. And even within Christianity, right, we have these different ideas about God. Is God angry at me? Is God a micromanager? Is God all just hugs and warm fuzzies? Well, listen, if God the Father tells us to listen to Jesus, which he did at the transfiguration, and then Jesus says in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, then we know where to look to find out what God is like. We saw this play out in our gospel passage today. Right after the transfiguration, after the mountain, they go down, back to the people. We see that God is like Jesus, who listens to a man desperate for a healing that he cannot accomplish. God is like 
Jesus, who sees this hurting father and this sick child, this oppressed child, and comes close. Jesus, Jesus calls his disciples out for their faithlessness, right? And yet intervenes to accomplish what they could not and provides spiritual and physical deliverance despite all of their issues and incompetencies. And seeing all of this, all the people there, it says this is the way that the passage ended. What do they say? It says, all were astonished at the majesty of God. So there's this mystical moment on the mountain, which is great. Nothing wrong with that. But by itself, it wasn't enough. It was the mystical moment followed by experiencing the character of God in the person and work of Jesus in everyday life, in the hard things of everyday life. And that is what led them to marvel and see the majesty of God. Isn't that interesting? So how can we get clarity on what God is like? Yes, those moments on the spiritual mountaintop are important and great. Not knocking those. But don't forget that we find Jesus down in the moments of desperation too. So if we want to know what God is like, we look to God's revelation of himself in Jesus, his life, his work, his faithfulness, his compassion, both on the mountain and in the valley. Because God is like Jesus. More than that, Jesus is God. So Jesus is the key to the truth about God. So Jesus gives us clarity on the Bible, reveals to us the very heart of the God of the universe. And here's my final observation for today on on what Christ reveals to us. Jesus is the key to the truth about you and me. Sometimes we think we're the experts on ourselves. But really, we can't know what we're supposed to be like, what God desires for us until we begin to look to Jesus. See, he's the the key to truth about all humanity, really. See, Jesus is kind of like the template for what human beings are supposed to be like. If they never sinned, if they never turned away from God. And it's hard for us to even have an imagination for this apart from him, right? And rightly so. I mean, it didn't take Adam and Eve too long. And so it's hard for us to even think, what would this, what would this humanity not touched by sin, completely devoted to God and in perfect relation with him, what would that look like? It's hard for us to even imagine if we're just looking to human beings. Now, look, I'm not saying that all human beings are like, you know, totally evil or, or anything like that. Um, but I just don't have a very optimistic view of humanity as it stands apart from Christ. And yes, you know, human beings a- accomplish a lot of great things. Um, we've made amazing technological progress. So that's cool. Good for us. But you know what? I don't see an end to human selfishness anywhere that I look, in any institution, in any country, in any situation. I always see that element of human selfishness and, and, and sin begin to taint that. Most of us in this room have the vast accumulation of human knowledge at our fingertips via the phone in our pockets, right? And so we have all this accumulated wisdom that we could be... I mean, it is amazing 
uh, I just think about pastors before me had to know their Bible so much better than I have to know it. Because when I'm just thinking of something, I just kind of Google the first, like, few words, and the reference pops up, right? Um, we have all this human knowledge at our fingertips, and yet, and yet, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Fortnite, whatever, those things tend to win out over the pursuit of wisdom, don't they? With their fleeting and yet powerful pleasures, those things tend to win out over the pursuit of wisdom. It's just, it's just the human condition. And so I don't have a lot of faith in humanity apart from Christ to even know what we're supposed to be like or what we can be like. But Jesus demonstrates in his life what God desires for every human. Because he lived out the kind of love that is, let I me mean, think about this, it's honest about evil, but it's gentle with the broken. It's the kind of love that, that sometimes hurts, because the truth sometimes hurts, but it always heals. It's the kind of love that is so centered on God that selfishness doesn't stand a chance. And by his life, Jesus not only showed us the love that he desires for us to both give and receive, but if we're real with ourselves, if we're real with ourselves, when we look to Jesus, he also shows us how far each one of us is from perfectly realizing that love. There's a reason why Jesus is famous and changed the world. And you and I are you know, maybe struggling with that. But thankfully, see, Jesus doesn't just demonstrate things. He's not just a teacher. Jesus accomplishes things. He accomplishes things in me and in you. And that's what he did on the cross. When he died for me and for you, St. Paul tells us that our selfish self were crucified with him. Do I understand all of that? No. Okay. There, there are things going on there that are deeper than we can ever understand. But the point is that Jesus dealt with our sin there on the cross 2,000 years ago so that we can be healed from it. And the good news is that begins right now. That, that begins the moment that we turn our eyes to Jesus. And of course, we can turn to Jesus because we know that Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead in the power of the Spirit so that we can have this certain hope that he's not finished with the world and he's not finished with you or me yet. See, he raised Jesus from the dead so we wouldn't live in confusion about what the Bible means, about who God is, about what he wants for me and you. He raised Jesus from the dead so we could have clarity on that stuff, so we wouldn't be bound by confusion. We have the key to truth and thus the key to freedom in Christ. And that's available for everybody. See, one thing Christianity doesn't have is secrets. Right? This gospel, this good news is something that is available for everybody. That's why we always are testifying to who Jesus is and what he's done. And, and, and that's why when, when we turn to him, we feel that joy. 
in our hearts, and, and we, we almost can't help but share it. Now, listen to this. This is from 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. When one turns to the Lord, this is St. Paul speaking, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is great news. Transformation is possible. We're not stuck in our sins. You and I will probably continue to struggle with it, with that carcass of our old selfish selves, for a little while yet. But that's being dealt with in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Right? This is happening, people, right now. Paul doesn't say that we will be transformed. I mean, he does say that later. We will be transformed. Uh, but, but in this passage, he's saying we're being transformed, right? So we've been transformed. We're being transformed. We will be transformed. This is such good news because it means you and I are not stuck. There's no reason to despair. When we place our attention on Jesus, our attitudes, our affections, and actions begin to change. Not all at once, for sure. What does it say here? By degrees, a little bit at a time. God draws us to himself, and we're being made more and more into the image of Christ. That is something to celebrate. Now, this means as individuals, as a church family, see, we just don't have to lose heart if we begin to feel confused or if the world around us or even the, the church around us seemed confused. Because we've been given this, this ministry of this good news. Okay? Uh, chapter 4, at the tail end of, our, of, of this uh, epistle passage today. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So look, Moses spent time with the Lord. And when he did that, he received instruction for the people, right? He received guidance. He had fellowship with his creator. And so you and I too, us too, as a church, we have a clear path forward together as long as we are looking to and walking toward Jesus Christ. So we can be open about stuff that's, that's hard to understand in the Bible as long as we're looking for Jesus there, right? We can joyfully witness to a God of justice, holiness, mercy, and love that's all held together in the person of Jesus, even in the hard times. We can be open about the, the truth of our own sins and our own struggles. Because it's never about what we're doing. It's about what Jesus has done and what he's doing. And we don't have to apologize for Jesus or explain away the strange way that we are called to live because of Jesus. But we can be open about that. The open statement of the truth. Transparency is a hallmark of authentic Christianity. Now that's hard. It's hard to... Um, to disclose like yourself, right? For, to, to open yourself to other people. 
this way. I know, I know that's difficult because whenever you do that, you make yourself vulnerable, and there's always a risk in that. There's always a risk of being hurt. And since we are still human beings that, that are still struggling with that old self that's being put to death, um, we, might, we might not want to, but we might hurt another person. But see, because of Jesus, there's this thing called forgiveness, and there's this, there's this thing called healing that can happen in the midst of all of that. And so even though there's a risk, there's always going to be a uh, resurrection. Now, Moses put a veil over his face because some people couldn't handle the beauty of God reflected there. And it's true that to this day, some people will see the glory of God reflected in us, right? Through that open statement of the truth. And as we follow him and as they see us being changed little by little by the Holy Spirit, not by what we're doing, but by the Holy Spirit, they'll, they'll see that. And they will nevertheless look away. You can't, I don't always understand why that happens. But we have to remember what our responsibility is. Our responsibility is faithfulness to Christ. So that no matter what, the world sees a true image of God. It's been said that the more religious you are around the wrong image of God, the more damage you will do to yourself and others. Because... We become like what we worship. And this is why idolatry of any kind is so inherently destructive. Sometimes we think God doesn't like idols just because he's, he's kind of being arbitrary, right? But no, the reason God doesn't like idols is because we worship something that's not true. That sucks the life out of us. That puts us into bondage. And God doesn't want that for us. So this is why idolatry of any kind is just inherently destructive. But it's also why the self-revelation of God in Christ is so inherently healing. When we are relentless in our confession that Jesus is God incarnate, that will change us. That will change the world. Now, we will never know all there is to know about God, okay? So don't get me wrong with this sermon. I'm not saying that we're going to know everything there is to know and that there are no mysteries. Of course, we are, we are called to live in, in an element of mystery as Christians. But clarity, not confusion, I think is what characterizes the family of God. And while not everybody is going to respond in a positive way to that, I think that true clarity on the Bible on God, on humanity, is really compelling to a world that is starving for truth, that is confused and starving for clarity, that is in bondage and starving for freedom. Christ alone is that key to the truth. And more than that, he is the truth. Christ alone is the key to freedom. Christ alone is the key to transformation. And so as we say in morning prayer, may we be faithful in this, our witness, not just with our lips, but in our lives. Amen. Please stand with me.